0: Thanks for joining us for episode one of the Collective Defense podcast titled State of Affairs in Healthcare. We're going to be digging into the state of cybersecurity in the healthcare vertical with subject matter experts. The Collective Defense podcast, where we are defining the next generation of cybersecurity. We
1: are all in this together.
0: I am Joel Bork and will be the host of the Collective Defense Podcast. I'm extremely excited to introduce my co-host for the Collective Defense Podcast. He's a founder of SECKC, which is the world's largest monthly hacker conference. He is a hacker himself and he has the Twitter handle at HeavenSent, H-E-V-N-S-N-T. He's also a former CISO and this gentleman is known for his experience establishing IR and cyber defense practices for Fortune 100 organizations. I'm super excited to introduce Bill Swearengin. Thanks so much for being on the podcast, Bill. Hey, Joel.
2: Happy to be here and excited for today's podcast. Uh, We are also very fortunate to be joined by a subject matter expert in the healthcare industry to discuss the topic today. He has led enterprise organizations as a CISO, CCO, and was a CEO of Sienna Group, a firm that he founded and was ultimately sold to ConnectWise in 2018. Currently, when he isn't playing golf in the sunny state of Florida, he is a cybersecurity strategist at IronNet, where he supports the healthcare vertical with a specific focus on national strategies and information sharing. You can find him on LinkedIn uh, slash IN slash John Ford CISO. Please welcome to the podcast, John Ford.
1: Hey, Bill and Joel. Thank you. Happy to be here.
0: John, thanks so much for being on the podcast. We're really excited to have you. I know you've got some great insights into this industry and this vertical. So uh, what we're going to do first though is jump into some recent news in the cybersecurity landscape. So sit back, relax, and we'll be circling back with you shortly to dig into some specific healthcare questions and grab your insights on them. Sounds good. Perfect. So on the collective defense podcast, we want to bring you the most recent cyber news right to your headphones, and we're going to be doing so in speed round fashions. And we'll touch on each topic for only two minutes. Now, at the end of that two minutes, you're going to hear the following sound. And that's going to be the end of the round. And then we're going to jump right into the next one. Are you ready, Bill? I'm ready. Awesome. Sounds good. So here we go. Starting the timer. And our first topic is uh, APT41. They're exploiting Citrix, Netscaler, Cisco routers, those vulnerabilities, specifically CVE 2019-19781. They're using directory traversal, and there is also execution of the command file bin password, which achieves two objectives. One, it's going to confirm whether the system's vulnerable if it's been mitigated and if it's been applied, and then it would also return architecture-related information. Now, once this exploit code was released, Bill, you actually helped to commit some code to helping organizations, right?
2: Yeah, I saw a lot of this activity at the beginning of this year. There was a couple different projects that were releasing proof of concept code. Interesting enough, the first one I saw was from Project Zero India. It came out right at the beginning of the year. And then uh, Dave Kennedy's company, TrustedSec, started releasing a, a more internet-wide scanner that you know I committed a little bit of code to. The interesting thing, uh, you know, in this article, they, they mentioned that the attackers are kind of moving away from the net scaler so in my testing, what I found was while it was very trivial to, to exploit, uh, you were op- often dropped into a, a shell that didn't have many permissions, right? So the commands that they were running did come back and give some information about the target, but from what I saw, it didn't give a whole lot of access. So that may be why they're, we're seeing them targeting different routers
0: and, and different uh, systems. Absolutely, yeah. If they can get more information elsewhere, why would they stick with the, the Citrix Netscaler? Now we saw activity back in January and February. It looked like there was a lull for the Chinese Lunar New Year, and then another lull for the this coronavirus outbreak. It looks like just two days ago, FireEye posted a blog, and it looks like this is the real deal. And they're up and at it again. Are you seeing the same thing?
2: Yeah, uh, yeah. So, so I'm not surprised. You know, just like uh, like everybody, uh, they they've got their day job too.
0: And uh, all right, time to move um, on. Cool. Yeah, they do have their day job, and they're coming at us. All right, next one is. Uh, new malicious Android app, researchers are calling it Trickmo, and it's capable of grabbing the two-factor authentication from third-party authentication apps and the one-time password sent via SMS. Talk to me about it. Yeah,
2: so this one was really interesting. From the information that I'm gathering, it looks like this is related to our old friend's TrickBot, right? So, And for those of you that aren't aware, TrickBot has been around, uh, we saw a lot of activity starting the 2016-2017 timeframe, really targeting people's banking accounts, right? So installing, primarily targeting Windows computers and looking to steal credentials of, of logging into the banks. And, and Joel, I, I think you saw that new, uh, the new version of Trickmo. they're targeting the mobile applications, looking to bypass even MFA or 2FA implementations of banking.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And what it's doing is it's taking screen images of your screen, whether it's an SMS, right? Or you're actually using like Google Authenticator, or something like that so they can bypass those security controls. I think this is a great example of banks are increasing their security controls and then malicious actors are keeping pace with that. So it is targeting Android users currently with this application. And once again, TrickBot's delivered via phishing emails. So for those of you who are working from home and leading security practices from home, guys, now's the time to do phishing campaign tests. Yeah,
2: one really interesting thing, I don't know how much time we got left here, but I saw, I was wondering, how do you get the app on the Android phone? And it looks like they're using the install, uh, the TrickBot install on the Windows computer to bring up an alert to to ask the user to install on their mobile, right? So they're using a a man-in-the-middle attack from the desktop to push a a, a mobile application that the users would install on their their mobile devices. Pretty clever.
0: It really is, it really is. And that is... I'm cool. Uh, good time on that one, Bill. Let's see if we can do the same for this one. So here we go. The World Health Organization attempted breaches via domain impersonation. We have to remember right now that any information on viruses, vaccines, maybe a potential cure for this coronavirus is potentially one of the most valuable assets in InfoSec today. So talk to me about this, these attacks.
2: Yeah, so the research that I saw here indicated that a, an APT group called Dark Hotel, which I'm sure you're familiar with, been spotted doing a domain impersonation attacks. So essentially, they're standing up a domain and masquerading as the World Health Organization in an attempt to steal credentials of administrators or, or other privileged individuals coming from that research organization or, or others. It's interesting that they're attributing this to Dark Hotel. Joel, I'm not sure. Do you have any uh, any background with, with that APT group at all?
0: Not a whole lot of background with that specific APT group. I know our threat detection team here at IronNet, they've been seeing tons of domains stood up. In regards to domains that are related to coronavirus, over 90% are not being used for valid business means. So that means the remaining, you know, nine out of 10 these are malicious domains being stood up, and I would not be surprised if this APT group is using those same types of techniques.
2: Yeah, what's really interesting is, yeah, you know, the, the background on Dark Hotel is most people agree that they're probably a, a Korean group, and, and they normally target hotel networks. They normally deploy in, in hotels and then target users there in the hotel via the Wi-Fi. Really kind of interesting that they're, they're, they're getting the attribution here. You know, it seems like there must be some, uh, some clear evidence
0: I also heard North Korea hasn't been hit by Corona, so now would be a good time for them to strike. There cool. you go. Next topic. Here we go. Looks like the world in general is seeing a massive uptick in phishing scams. U.S. just passed a massive stimulus bill. So these phishing scams are revolved around stimulus checks, vaccines, and other methods as bait to get users to click. FBI is stating that the government will not be sending unsolicited emails. This sounds like just another time where malicious actors are taking advantage of unsuspecting users.
2: Yeah. You know, and, and really where I kind of fall in on this is we can expect a, attackers to leverage in any uh, crisis to their, you know, to their benefit. So don't let a crisis go unused would be, you know, a, a good piece of advice here to, you know, you can expect those attackers doing, I uh, just be really cautious. Right. So um, luckily I, I think that probably our listeners will be pretty prepared to, to understand and uh, detect phishing attacks, but our users may not be right. So, Uh, we probably need to be a little bit uh, more forthcoming with with just explaining that to our users and and security training and security awareness uh, back to our users.
0: Yeah, I agree. And not just our users. I think if we can educate our users well enough, every American is going to get a check. They need to educate their families, their friends, those around them, because every single person is going to at least have one of these in their spam box, if not in their inbox. So guys, be aware, be wary. Don't click on every link, please.
2: Yeah, and, and, you know, this, this kind of goes back to everything we've really talked about here today in the news. But um, I really like Krebs rule number one, which is uh, if you didn't go looking for it, don't install it, right? So we can expect that these, these phishing emails are going to be targeting credentials, right? They're going to be targeting installation of software. You know, maybe this is how they, they're going to leverage, like, the banking trojans, like we, we already mentioned just. So if you didn't go looking for it, you know, don't click on it, don't install it, don't log in, you
0: know. That is it. Cool. Well done, Bill. That wraps up our Cyber Weekly news. Now we are going to jump right into some healthcare specific topics in which we're hoping, John, you're going to be able to share your invaluable insights with us on. Sure. Awesome. So we're going to stick with the COVID 19. It's on everybody's mind. Everybody's talking about it, worried about it, scared about it. There's, like we talked about earlier, lots of COVID 19 related domains created for malicious purposes, and the core workforce is working from home. So those emails are bypassing a lot of security controls enterprises had. Can you talk to me a little bit more about that?
1: Yeah, you know, so, you know, healthcare as a sector under normal conditions is insanely complex, right? You know, it's widely distributed, but highly dependent upon each other. Uh, You know, oftentimes I look at it like a large conveyor belt in in a factory, right? Where each station is a component of the healthcare sector, yet they all do security differently, right? you know when we look at an environment like we're at today which is really unprecedented you know what we what we're experiencing is a dramatic shift in the operational capability of IT and security teams uh, with respect to how they go about their business you know a perfect example is you know so I'm very familiar with the payer side having been the CISO for a couple of those but you know most of the payers leveraged outsourced call centers for various functions and uh, most of these are offshore you know, and, and that work in a facility where, you know, they walk in, they, they hand over their mobile phone, they their, their screens are shielded, right? And, you know, they're, they're basically working uh, in an environment in a building that's very, very controlled. Well, you know, if you could imagine a payer now having to distribute thousands and thousands of laptops out to this workforce who's never worked remote before, um, may not even have uh, a decent internet connection, uh, all, de- all designed to try to help them create the same functionality. It, it, it's a big, big um, shift in the operational you know, direction of those firms. And it also represents, as we all know, a great opportunity because it's in this chaos you know, where the opportunists really live, right? That's where our threat actors are really preying on is to go after those opportunities when our guard is down.
2: Yeah, so John, that that concept that you're talking about, especially um, with, with the call center type, uh, I'm familiar with that as well. And, and we classified those as clean rooms, right? And a lot of the times we would we would do that so that we would have very uh, strict controls around the type of information that we were using those uh, you know those processing centers to, to access. Do you feel like there's there should be any concerns about how our data is being accessed, especially if those users are having to stay home?
1: Well, certainly, I mean, you know, and and again, when you think about healthcare as an overall sector, we're we're propagating some very sensitive personal information, um, tons of intellectual property, capabilities that span from research to, you know, think about all all of the uh, groups that are working today on a coronavirus vaccine. Um, All of this information is very highly sensitive. And, you know, and now we're exposing and we've done a good job of trying to put in the protections um, to keep that protected. And that was a struggle to begin with. And now, you know, we have this exposed workforce uh, remotely using really unsecure Internet connections in a lot of cases. So, yeah, I mean, this is going to be very surprising to me. We do not see some challenges along the way over the next weeks and months.
2: Yeah. So, uh, so I don't really, I don't have a healthcare background, you know, I'm not very familiar with, you know, the capabilities that that exist and I, and I'm sure that just like everywhere that they differ by which organization you're talking about. Uh, But, but I'm curious, you know, is is the healthcare prepared for advanced attacks? Like are, are they, is there considerations for APT style attacks? You know, kind of like as the saying goes, you know, when the herd's distracted, the wolves strike. And I worry that uh, right now with, with our healthcare industry so focused on, um, you know, the immediate crisis, are, are they are they also prepared for, you know, a cyber crisis?
1: You know, I, I, I hope so. <laughs> I hope for all of us. Um, but but I, you know, I would say that um, it's gonna be a challenge for them, right? And, um, you know, it's a lot of times I use analogies, like, you know, I was just talking to somebody the other day about this. And it's kind of like a subway entrance in New York City that if you shut it down at quarter to five on a Friday evening, you would have thousands of people pouring into that subway entrance that's now closed, right? Well, within that chaos, if you're a pickpocket, you know, you could you could run, you know, roughshod over that environment because everybody's just trying to find out where do I go now. Um, we, we have that same environment. Um, you know, it it's not lost on our adversaries whatsoever. You were just talking about you know, we were just talking to, on the news, you know, about the domains that are coming up, right, you know, as an example, or people clicking on links, you know, for instance, um, with respect to checks coming out. But, you know, it, you know right now, I, I think, you know, healthcare is, is, it's a tedious balance for them to, you know, stay on, um, you know, a decent security posture. But, you know, I sure hope so, Bill, but um, I think time will tell.
2: Yeah, certainly. I, I, I me too. I, I hope as well. You know, so in in my past, we would often um, describe five different adversary types. You know, and, and then build threat models around those. And those those adversary types were were nation state, organized crime, insider mm-hmm. threat, hacktivism, and terrorism were were what we uh, built around. Uh, you know, I'm curious. You know, and I'm just kind of curious when when you look at the healthcare what kind of groups do you think would be targeting healthcare right now? And, and what do you think the the major threats would be, right? So if we were to put a, you know, a worst case scenario, what, what do you think the adversaries would be after?
1: Well, let me address that slightly differently. I'll talk about it in terms of frequency because, uh, I still feel the greatest frequency out there is going to be phishing. right? So, you know, you're going to have a plethora, of threat actors out there that are just going to, you know, try to either get people to click on something, whether it's an email attachment, um, you know, some link, what have you, or, you know, still today, you know, you're going to have a, a ton of people out of exposed ports. And, and really, you know, I think the highest frequency is going to be uh, the threat actors that are out there that are simply just trying to, you know, introduce some malware into an environment, you know, and then think about, you know, an extension of that, like ransomware, which you know is highly prevalent in healthcare, highly effective in healthcare. If you look at the average threat actor in ransomware, what, what I've seen in the past year is you know, very well-funded um, or very well-established underground economies where barriers of entry to get into this is nothing more than about $300 in Bitcoin and you can immediately turn it around into hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars in return. I I see the frequency of ransomware being high, but, you know, you mentioned some of the other threat actors and, you know, let's talk about those for a minute. And this is where things start to get really, you know, serious and dark, right? Because healthcare, you know, it, it, it has a lot of OT capabilities, IoT capabilities. Think about infusion pumps, for example. And, you know, there are a lot of threat actors out there and maybe even some misguided nation states that whose real goal is just hell bent on creating fear and confusion amongst, you know, the American public. Right. And, and and so, you know, it has been proven that, you know, wireless, wirelessly, you know, infusion pumps can be attacked and altered, right. Or EHR systems. If you think about that for a minute, if I have access to your medical record, you know, I can manipulate the data in that medical record. And then if you happen to be in a hospital and needing care, there's going to be a significant amount of confusion and and confidence broken, if you will, if your blood type was changed or some other asset of you know your identity. And, and remember, you know, when we're talking about healthcare, you know, if if I'm talking about somebody's financial identity, I I can decouple from that in a couple of years, but we cannot decouple from our healthcare identity. So, Bill, your your healthcare history will follow you for the rest of your life. And you can't decouple yourself from it. And the last thing, and it's scary, is when some threat actor might have access to actually change that uh, without your knowledge, and then caregivers cannot provide the adequate care for you. So not to say that those fishing guys aren't dangerous, but the opposite end of the spectrum is the people who can really influence life-changing or life-threatening decisions.
0: Wow. So what I hear you saying, John, is that while we do have the APT-level actors looking for specific information, you get somebody like a terrorist actor or an insider threat who's just trying to launch a smear campaign. Imagine changing those records at scale. That really yeah. is a worst-case scenario. If everybody's blood type has changed. Yeah, and and somewhere
1: in the middle, like there was uh, there was an incident a week or so ago over in the Czech Republic where test results for you know COVID 19 were somehow either altered or damaged or encrypted. Uh, making them therefore useless to the healthcare providers, right? So think about a scenario like that where you're, you know, now you're testing in mass thousands of people to try to get an accurate picture of who is, who actually test positive for COVID-19. And now you can't trust the results. That confusion is, is damaging to a society. It's damaging to the world, right? And yet there are people out there that have that type of motivation and it's unfortunate.
0: It's very unfortunate. And, and and not just whether the results were positive or not, but imagine if those security researchers responsible for developing a vaccine or a cure, all of those records are now useless. I mean, that just, A, it's a great target for an APT threat actor, and B, it could really harm a nation. So I, I, I think that leads us really well into our next question that we had lined up for you. We had a quick snippet of the President of the United States talking about, HIPAA and what he's doing in these times of emergency. So, let me kick that off for you real quick and then I'd love to pick your brain on it if that's all right.
1: During this time, we will not enforce applicable HIPAA penalties so that doctors can greatly expand care for their patients using telehealth. So, the penalties won't be
0: enforced. Right? So, we have increased threat actor activity and then we have decreased security. Talk to me about that. What are the impacts on the on the healthcare vertical?
1: Yeah, so you know what that snippet really is talking about is telehealth, right? So think about what we have today in our environment. Um, You know, a lot of the healthcare providers are also in isolation, right? And then think about their patients. You know, we don't want their patients coming into emergency rooms where the, the exposure, you know, is far greater. We don't even really want them coming into doctors' offices. I mean, I myself have had several appointments that have been postponed, right? But if you are in need of, of, of some sort of what we would call in healthcare, an encounter with a healthcare provider, you know, telehealth offers a wonderful opportunity, right? So, you, you know, you can think about it like this, where you can get to see a doctor face-to-face and she or he can diagnose or help diagnose maybe some of the symptoms that you have. All that part is great. The downside, <laughs> and it's wonderful in this type of environment, telehealth has been coming along for a number of years. And the HIPAA regulations uh, surrounding telehealth are really driven more towards the platforms that people use, right? Um, So what we would anticipate is that providers would try to use platforms that are secure, maybe like Zoom Health or others that are out there, right? But now we're taking providers and we're putting them back in their home. They're on their home PC. And, you know, maybe they don't have access to Zoom Health. And maybe they're using FaceTime. Maybe they're using TikTok right? And, and so, you know, what the president's message is, is that we're not going to enforce compliance, right? You know, security and privacy rule regulations upon those healthcare providers uh, while they're trying to provide access to care. And, and I can see that part. But the flip side of that is that we won't know for, for months to come the impact of, of those providers who use those open platforms, right, public-facing platforms, and nor will we know what impact that would have on the data. Now, not a component of finding a provider, that's, you know, that's what we're trying to get away from here with, you know, and that's what the president's trying to get away from, is like, let's let's put the access in front of the, the regulation. But what what's in the middle of that is that, you know, hey, you know, I don't expect healthcare providers to know as much about security as I do, and nor do I expect them to know what platform to use. So I I think this is going to have some challenges long-term. I hope it has some benefits short-term to, uh, you know, the encounter between provider and patient, Um, but I am concerned about the long-term, you know, security and privacy implications.
2: I, I tell you, if, if my healthcare provider tries to contact me over TikTok, I think I'm going to be looking for somebody else. But uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so you, you do bring up an interesting point. So while, while those medical providers may not have uh, the security expertise that, that you do, I, I would expect that they do have that background in specifically in HIPAA protections should we be expecting that our medical providers are are going to be using non-HIPAA accredited services? And, and if they do, you know, what, what can these attackers do with, with those kind of contact methods or what, what kind of data do you think that is going to be exposed? What, and what do you think that they could do with that information?
1: Yeah. So good question, Bill. I mean, you know, in, in my experience in healthcare, particularly with the providers, right? You know, the payers have always been, in my opinion, far further ahead the spectrum in security and privacy, right? You know, with a provider, they're always going to default back to what they're guided to do, and that's to provide care. So I, I think things will, will become lax. You know, I, I don't think they'll be concerned as much about HIPAA requirements as far as what kind of, you know, protocols they're using or not using. And again, you know back to my subway entrance, you know the, the opportunists out there that are threats um, they're not going to have to very, very hard to get access to data, right so healthcare data' is still insanely valuable. You can sell it on the black market, um, you know you could still make money that way. You could sell access into EHR systems you know right from a provider's desktop, and then you could sell that on the black market, and people can create malware and they can They can have their fun, and then the whole economy kicks in. And and so when we start talking about dwell time and and what we know today, I I think the dwell time numbers, because of COVID-19, are going to push this timeline out a bit, particularly in healthcare. And I really wouldn't be surprised to see the dwell time in healthcare, you know, increase to well over 200 days again, simply because, you know, we're in this period of, of lax controls.
0: Wow, that is pure gold. Thank you, John. Once again, as we wrap up our time here, I want to thank you so much. I think that last statement—the fact that with this coronavirus outbreak, it's going to push dwell time to well over 200 days—I hope we can get a grip on that and really start reducing that dwell time. So, thank you so much for joining us, John. Once again, our listeners can find you on linkedincom in john ford ciso So please reach out to him, find him there. But before we let you go, John, we have three questions that we're going to ask each and every person on this podcast. And number one is, what is something you're really proud of that you've helped implement?
1: Mandatory happy hours. <laughs> I
0: love it. Uh, tell us how you did that. What was the turnout?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Mandatory happy hours every single Friday. Uh, <laughs> well, while we did have those, you know, I think while I've had the opportunity to implement some pretty cool technologies across several sectors, um, I, I think the thing that I'm most proud of implementing really, you know, is, is just I've been very fortunate to lead teams where we implemented a culture of trust, right? A culture of where, you know, we're working and partnering with our business partners and ensuring that we're, we're collaborating. And I, I think any success that I've had as a CISO, when I look back at it, it's, it's not the technologies that we implemented um, it wasn't the policies that we enforced. It, it wasn't that. It was, it was really how we partnered with our business communities and, you know, really with the members with always keeping in mind that, uh, you know, at, at someplace down the road, there's a person in a hospital, in a, you know, in a nursing home and we're being entrusted with their data. Right. And instilling a culture of ensuring that we're doing the best that we can to enable the business to protect that is probably the thing I'm most proud of.
2: Absolutely. We're we're all in this together. Right, John? Yeah. So, so I get the, I get the fun question. Um, I'm up next. Uh, so, so John, uh, what's the worst advice that you've ever heard? <laughs> you know,
1: yeah, there's, there's probably several, but I'll give you one of the top winners. You know, when I first got into the technology business, um, I was hired by Lucent Technologies. Initially, in a network management group, particularly because of my expertise with you know, TCPIP routing and switching. I was only there a short period of time and uh, some Bell Labs folks came in and knowing that some of us had that background, you know, they were looking to enlist volunteers to go into this brand new group called the Security Group and work on this amazing product that they were developing called the Lucent Managed Firewall. So immediately my hand goes up My current, my boss at the time was less than thrilled with that. So the meeting ends and he calls me into his office and he puts his hand on my shoulder and he says, John, I just want to tell you, that was a horrible career mistake that you just made. And he said, nobody, and he goes, I mean, nobody is ever going to be interested in stopping packets on a network. And he says, I strongly urge you to change your mind And stick with network management. (laughs) So so 25 years later, we're on this call. You know what my decision was. Uh, But that was probably one of the worst uh, pieces of advice I've been given.
0: That is pretty bad. Yeah. Awesome. And then last but not least, John, being the Collective Defense Podcast, is there anything as cybersecurity experts that we can do to help in this time?
1: Yeah, and following on the same thing. Joel, you know, more than ever, we cannot defend in isolation. It's just not going to work, right? Even in, even in normal times, you know, we're up against something that that's not working. The investments cannot be, the investments cannot outpace, you know, the threats. it just can't. And so, you know, more than ever, we need to collaborate, we need to share, and, and we really need to, you know, adopt a culture of it's everybody, all of the good guys, against all of the bad guys, not individual good guys, against all of the bad guys. How we communicate, how we arrive at data that is both accurate, relevant, and shareable, I think we're at an inflection point, and I what I hope at a very you know crazy scenario, there's always been a silver lining at least in my life. And I hope what comes out of this one, uh, very similar to some of the recommendations in the Solarium commission is is really an enhanced model of collaboration. Um, I, I think that's our best way out of this and I think it's our best way forward.
0: I think that's an excellent point and thank you for giving back through this podcast and for, and for delivering that message that collective defense and working together is going to be key during this inflection point. So John Ford, thank you so much for being on this podcast today. We appreciate thank you. That. You're welcome, absolutely. And Bill, co-host, any final thoughts?
2: Yeah, I'm just going to echo John. uh, Thank you very much for being on. And and Joel, uh, back to you.
0: You got it. Everybody, thank you so much for joining us for the first episode of the Collective Defense Podcast. We're very excited to have you listening today.